Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Welcome to our Sunday show where we take a look at the news and events of the week. Uh, if Before we get started, if you'd like to take a look at some of the other shows from this past week, uh, you can also listen to our interview with um, the wonderful uh, Congressman Jamie Raskin talking about the January 6th committee hearings. That was earlier this week, as was our interview with Michael Cohen on his new book, uh, Revenge, which was also posted this week. Joining us today, as always on Sunday, is uh, John Bennett from CQ Roll Call and Michael Zellin, former federal prosecutor. So stick around. We'll talk about the latest when we get back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. And we're back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host. Brian Karam with me now is uh, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin, also host of That Said podcast, and John Bennett, uh, editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call and uh, uh, <laughs> columnist extraordinaire. Loved your oh, column this wow. week, John. It was good. So uh, we're going to start out this week. You know, there, there was a lot that went on. Um, and let's start with probably the strangest thing that happened uh, this week, and that was the... Um, the home invasion for Paul Pelosi and Nancy Pelosi. And they, you know, uh, while she was in DC, uh, in case people don't realize what happened, if you're tuning in late to reality, 82 year old uh, Paul Pelosi was a victim of a home invasion and uh, suffered a skull fracture and some injuries to his arm and shoulder and had to undergo surgery. Um, someone broke into their home screaming, where is Nancy? Uh, had uh, a hammer and hit the 82-year-old gentleman with that hammer and had a bag full of zip ties. And I all obvious questions aside, with what's going on with that and the uh, problems with the uh, midterm elections, or at least the consternations about the midterm elections, here's the question I want to ask you both. Uh, I, I'm looking at the definition of dystopia. Are we living in a dystopia? John, I'll let you take that. Wow. Uh, why, don't, why don't you start with an easy one, Brian? Um, <laughs> well, it's just, well, I just got to ask that. It just well, seems like. <laughs> politically, we might be. Uh, we were talking before you hit the record button, however, and I went out on a walk in my neighborhood of Northwest DC, about maybe a mile from the Maryland line. And um, it doesn't feel very dystopian you know, in this neighborhood, people have inflatable Halloween yard decorations. Uh, there were kids at the playground having a Halloween party this morning. Um, they seem to not feel very dystopian. They were kids were playing and screaming and doing kid things. And the parents were chit chatting and looking at their iPhones and Apple watches. Um, but then you come back and you read the latest on um, Paul Pelosi being attacked in in his home that he shares with speaker nancy pelosi and you read some of the conspiracy theories on the far right about that oh my god yeah and and you know then you look at um you know the train bombing in somalia and and some other things that went on stampede People being south crushed korea. in south yeah. korea in a like it was a who concert from 1978 
Yeah, and, you know, NFL stadiums are packed and people are drinking beers and rooting for their teams and the World Series is going on. So politically, yes, I don't think we can say the whole country has slipped into that, but politics just gets worse and worse. The news just gets worse and worse. Um, we're A lot of folks think we're about to head into a recession. So um, politically... Ah, and, and with that, yeah. we also had positive economic news this week from, uh, you know, GDP went up. So... I, that's I, I I don't know, man. It seems like sometimes I I can't I can't tell where we're coming or going. Michael, you you think we live in a dystopia? No, and I think we've lived through worst times, worse times than this. I think the period of the Red Scare, nineteen seventeen to nineteen twenty one, was much worse um, than this with the locking up of people on the left um, for ideas. So no, Brian, I don't think we're in a dystopian society. We're just in a, a period of time that is sort of cyclical that um, is unfortunate and hopefully in time um, we'll move beyond it like we did the Red Scare, like we did McCarthyism, like um, we hopefully will do with Trumpism. You know, it, I look on, on it, remember 1968, I just remember the Democratic Convention then, the war in Vietnam, the Tet Offensive, we were putting people in, we were six months away from landing a man on the moon. I remember the uh, Apollo 8 and Christmas of, of, of 68, traveling around the moon and broadcasting live for the first time, it gave us so much hope. And then uh, you'd see body bags coming home every day, and that seemed to me a very dystopian time, but I get what 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 John says, and I feel the same. I mean, that you know, the the definition of a dystopia is relating to or denoting an imagined state or society where there is great suffering or injustice. If you use that broad term, I guess we've always been <laughs> we've always been in a dystopia. But I I I I say that because there are a lot of people that say there's no hope today, and I firmly disagree with that. But and I take hope out of what John was saying. You know, you walk down the street and there's, you know, people living their lives and uh, going about their lives just fine. Then you tune into Washington politics and you want to pull what few hairs I have left in my head out because it gets so damn nutty. So, all right. I thought I'd ask. We're, I want to start out talking about um, uh, none of that. Let's, uh, you know, um, I want to talk a little bit about Biden this week. Earlier this week in the, in the, um, Wait, excuse me, Brian, can you just remind me who that is? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Joe Biden, our president. This ah, is the, that you. guy. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I, 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 I lost my focus for a second. Yeah, that's it. So, <laughs> well played. So, I, so yeah. this week in the press briefing room, uh, I, I spoke to that issue specifically asking, when are they going to bring Joe Biden out? We've said many times on the show that the biggest problem the Democrats have is in their horrible messaging. And I and, and John, you can speak to this first, I guess. But, you know, here I am sitting in the briefing room going, they're constantly complaining about misinformation. And they talk about how they've done some good things. They don't talk about it very much. But they, the one they really don't talk about is um, infrastructure, the infrastructure bill that was passed. The, there are plenty of Republicans that are campaigning on that issue that they voted against. And mm -hmm. the Democrats don't seem to be worth a spit when it comes to messaging. So I asked, you know, Corrine Jean-Pierre, if we could get the president out and have, he's had two press conferences in the White House in two years, and he hasn't had one in 10 months. And there are more movies in the MCU universe than there have been total press conferences by this administration, which is scary. Um, do you think that in messaging that that uh, Biden's lack of appearance, and I, I take it from Michael's uh, uh, comment already, he might agree, that they're, the Democrats are hurting themselves? John? Sure, but that's what they do. That's That's in their DNA to you know, one step forward and, and four backward. Uh, I really thought at the end of um, week before last that Biden had really started to find um, a closing argument for the midterms on the economy. Uh, he made some strong points. He 
criticized various Republican plans for what, what they want to pass or try to ne maybe negotiate with them, but probably not when, as we expect, they take over uh, the House and Senate. And I thought he was really effective. And I, I, I thought he was level-headed and, and his criticism of, of their plans was, was exactly what you need in an election year. He talked about Medicare. He talked about Social Security. Uh, older folks vote. And then, poof, the president vanished. Uh, where did he go? And to your point about messaging, I, I, with, with Biden and the White House, it's a communication issue for me. For example, the Paul Pelosi attack. Where was the president to talk about political violence? He was off the yes. grid all day. He was in Wilmington at his, his private residence. And fair enough, presidents need downtime and, and he's comfortable there. And, and it's, a, it's a tough job. And you can do it from just about anywhere. I get that. Um, but, you know, there's a pool with him at all times. Wilmington, Delaware has television stations. It's not far from Philly. You know, you can get in front of the people. You're the president. And he had a chance. Hell, he could walk out in his front yard, right. and make a statement, right. and, and we'd be the, there. Right. He could do that with, with the press pool that's with him, the travel pool. This wouldn't be hard to do. They can be there in five or ten minutes or however long it takes. Uh, but he could be on TV within the half hours, put it that way. Um, and he didn't speak out. And sure, he brought it up. But was the right place to discuss that at a political fundraiser the first time that, that you publicly speak? I mean, he put out a written statement, but, you know, um, He's the president. He ran on unifying the country. Here's the Speaker of the House's husband being attacked. Um, the police made it clear that they suspected political motives were involved here. And we don't hear from the president until seven or eight o'clock that night. And it's at a fundraiser. It just, and it's they just don't understand. Hopefully inadequate, I thought. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And, and it, it's, they don't understand. And I have a hard time sometimes putting it into words, but it's something that they don't understand how to use the presidency to communicate. Yeah, they don't understand the bully pulpit, which right. is all that Donald Trump did understand was beating you over the head with misinformation 24-7. Do you thought it was real? That's here's right. really and, and in so much as we're talking about Biden and Pelosi, you bring up a very salient point. Where is the president of the United States saying, no matter, you know, this country used to be about, I disagree with what you say, but we'll defend to death your right to say it. Today, you've got people with zip ties and claw hammers running through, you know, uh, kidnapping or trying to kidnap the 82-year-old uh, uh, husband of the Speaker right. of the House and threatening, you know, uh, all kinds of discord simply because they believe in a conspiracy through misinformation and, and disinformation. Michael, you sit on the, on the, uh, yeah, you know, your, your expertise is analyzing data. Analyze this one for me. How in the hell does that work? You know, I expect that everything respect to the, with respect to the presidency is complicated, that no decision doesn't have a pressure point uh, as to it. I, I do think, though, that Biden, as you say, seemed to have started the month of October off on strong footing, and then he sort of slipped into um, silence when I would have thought politically he, we should be hearing from him every day. We see uh, former President Obama out there now making closing arguments in many of the contested uh, senatorial races. And you would have thought that Biden, though he's not wanted in many of these states, would still be issuing messaging around the importance of um, being able to continue the agenda for working Americans that he has touted with the acts that have been passed and the impact that losing uh, either house or both houses of Congress would have on um, that continued progress. But it doesn't seem to have been the case. It seems as John writes um, that he's gone a bit more silent than one would have expected. And I can't tell you why why that is. And I do think though that um, there was an there is an opportunity, there was an opportunity for him in the aftermath of the political attack on Paul Pelosi, because it can be seen nothing other than that. And, and you have to see it as um, part of a continuum of violence against um, 
different types of political actors that the right doesn't like because most of the most of the action um, is from the right directed at those who they disagree with. You know, they'll they'll complain about Antifa and stuff, but that has not proven to be the case. It is really the right that is threatening the governor of Michigan and poll workers in uh, Georgia and, and elsewhere. And I think he has an opportunity to come forward and speak to this, you know, in the same way that Obama spoke after the uh, racially charged murders in Charleston, South Carolina of Reverend Pinckney and the eight parishioners um, that um, Cody Keenan just wrote this book, Grace, um, about. I think there there is an opportunity that I think he's not taking advantage of. Yeah, you know, for me, what I was waiting for and what I haven't seen among the last two presidents for sure is that presidential moment that unifies it. You could have used this particular incident against Paul Pelosi as a moment to say, folks, this is the, you know, and he's, this is his standard stump speech, by the way, where he talks about, you know, this is the United States of America and we, we are better than that. This is an example where you could come out and say, look, political violence against someone who disagrees with you on either side is not to be accepted. So let's quit looking at it from either side and understand that we are the United States of America and political dissent is our right and disagreement is our heritage. And so why aren't we pushing towards accepting one another's ability to speak freely or act freely and turn it against, you know, uh, Trump and his minions who have, you know, who are stressing discord by saying, no, we, we allow, we allow disagreements on both sides. I think that was a unifying moment that he completely screwed up and missed yeah, you know, an opportunity. It reminds me of the time when Obama went to Philadelphia and gave his speech on, on race. Now, you can argue that nothing came of it, um, but that it was an important moment for him to address that question. And I think Obama will say, look, I gave... 14 speeches after gun violence mass shootings and precious little um, came of it. But nonetheless, he gave the speeches. And I think that in, in this case, not sure that, that a Biden speech that says enough's enough, we can't, we can't, this is not a society in which any of us want to live um, would have been persuasive in any you know manner with respect to the Trumpists, but I think it was an important time for him to say it. Yeah, I, I think it was the uh, and and I give and you know and, and John, you've covered the last two presidents. You know damn well what Trump was like. It was all about divisiveness. It was all about discord. And here was an opportunity to sew the wounds together, and it wasn't done. I think that. That one of the biggest problems, the faults of the Biden administration is they simply cannot bind the wounds together. Every opportunity they have had to do it, they fail. Now, can I just say one thing in their defense? Um, sure. Which is to say, and the same thing in the defense of, of former President Obama, in order to reach consensus, you need two willing partners. And I'm not sure that Biden has a willing partner in the Republican Party. And so you can preach all you want, messages of unity and the like, but if you have nobody who can help forge a unified country working with you, uh, it's pretty hard to move forward. And I will push back on that in this regard. I don't think you are going to find those who seek to do that unless you make an overture to find those. And I know there are some Republicans who would, I don't think there's any in leadership. John, you can correct me if I'm wrong there, but I don't, I agree. There's probably no one in the Republican leadership worth a cup of warm piss that would be willing to do that. But I think in building a future, it's you got to start and lay the foundation. And that's the foundation that I wish they would lay. John? Yeah, I don't think this was that difficult. I, I think you, um, 
you don't go to the fundraiser if you want to have the vice president go ahead and 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 kind of be the headliner um that no no qualms there it is an election and these things have gotten way too expensive so you got to raise the money but i think you cancel your appearance at the fundraiser and you give a you give a national address you find a venue in wilmington or philadelphia and and you know you don't go raise political cash at a time like that i i don't i i wouldn't have had him go I, if i was on the staff i would have tried to talk him out of even going to the fundraiser and and give some kind of speech and it didn't have to be long you know he doesn't speak long he's not bill clinton or anything he's not barack obama um you know he could have given a nice or donald story. trump right <laughs> a 13 minute address in prime time instead of the fundraiser and and like you said i think you have to try i I, I actually agree with both of you guys. Uh, I think Michael's right that there isn't um, someone else at the table who's who's serious about about getting together with Biden on anything, including uniting the country. But I also believe that you have to try because if you don't try, it'll never take. It might not take today, but maybe in five years it starts to take and it starts to set in. And he ran on this. You know, that's yes. that's a camp. Friday was a campaign promise not kept. It, that's how that's how I'm thinking about it. And, um, yeah, I just think it was another missed opportunity. I think they've made wonderful, many missed opportunity mistakes. But that's before we go to break, I guess the last thing we'll, we'll talk about is uh, the I don't want to go back to the Paul Pelosi thing but, and, and in relation to Joe Biden, <clears throat> all kinds of. And here's why I think it was important for Biden to step forward. There have been all kinds of rumors, uh, even propagated by the wonderful, redoubtable, <clears throat> moronic Elon Tusk, Musk, uh, who has, you know, intimated that there was nefarious reasons behind and conspiracies. There have been numerous conspiracies behind what happened in this home invasion. Um, is there anything straightforward anymore? The Pelosi thing seemed no. pretty straightforward to me, but not, to, yeah, John doesn't seem like anything in the news anymore <clears throat> is straightforward. It's always about a conspiracy. Yeah, uh, uh, they didn't take long to, uh, the, the far right didn't take long to come up with, um, like you said, some rather seedy uh, ideas for what happened. Uh, at the Pelosi residence uh, late that night, and um, I don't know. I'm not sure if we want to repeat them here. If people no, want to find I, out, I don't yeah. really care about that. What I do care about yeah. is the fact that there are Republicans who are saying, you know, I mean, the the best you got out of them was, oh yeah, we'll we, you know, poor old Paul Pelosi. We're going to send, uh, you know, a Nancy home to take care of him. I mean, what kind yeah. of crap is that? If yeah, that there was... were a Republican that were attacked, viciously attacked, there would be no end to the whining. And and the fact okay. that you know this there's something wrong with the left. Well, well one see, thing that, yeah, I, I, go, there, go ahead. Sorry, yeah, um, that was Glenn Youngkin who said that the uh, Republican governor of of Virginia about sending Nancy home to be with him. You know, but this is uh, everything is is so political and everything is is so divided. Um, and the right, you know, they they just this is what they do now. That the far right, they they concoct these. Um, they concoct these theories about people and um you know with with nancy pelosi they've they've hated her for decades and it's, <laughs> yes. and it's not a policy and you're dislike. not lying there <laughs> yeah it, it, it's not at this point it's not a policy dislike they hate her they yeah. hate her existence and that that's a big problem and, and they know, feel no empathy for her or her family. Right. And, and, you know, right now is the time properly for, for the family to worry about Mr. Pelosi and, and make sure that he's going to going to recover. And, you know, they need to catch their breath, obviously. But this, you know, we talk about politics here and I cover politics. You have to wonder if this is it. If, is this the thing that finally uh, drives her to make the decision uh, to leave Congress sooner rather than later? You just have to wonder if this, if this is just a little bit too much. You know, she's—they're both in their 80s. They have grandchildren. They have plenty of money to enjoy the rest of their lives, and good for them. Um, but you just wonder if 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 this might lead her to finally uh, step aside. Michael, you you were going to jump in. Well, first, I think that it would make me and you, perhaps, John, 
step aside. But I think for Nancy Pelosi, I think this will tell her DNA to stay and fight. Um, she is not going to be cowed by, by this. But the thing I was going to say, Brian, is uh, if I remember correctly, you introduced this section, this session of our conversation by saying in the, in the most unusual event this week or some word like <laughs> unusual. Um, You're going to push back on that, are you? <laughs> well, yes, because I think that this is not unusual. Um, this is, as I said earlier, this is you, business as usual for the the, the QAnon and the um, Trumpists um, who have not only you know taken to verbal assaults but have also taken to physical assault. Physical assault. So it's not unusual. It is the culmination of or the continuation of what um, Trump unleashed uh, at the beginning of his presidency, and it has to be called out for for what it is. Um, and not seen as an outlier or an unusual event, but rather what should what is to be expected when this type of um, rhetoric and behavior goes unchecked, which is brings us back to that was Biden's opportunity to step yes. forward and say, say something along those lines. I, I agree. Perfect. Perfectly said. And with a bow on that, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the other weirdness this week in the news stay tuned we'll be right back hey you yeah you we're talking to you and we need your help seriously as you probably know independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy like everything else it's not free we're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. As usual, our Sunday show, Just Ask the Press, we're talking to Michael Zeldin and John Bennett about the events that occurred this week in uh, our country and elsewhere in the world. We're going to leave out the UFO stuff this week, though. I, I, I can't get into that. I haven't had enough bourbon. But what I do want to talk about a little bit is... Um, uh, Michael, we'll start with you on this one. Uh, there are a few things that happened with Donald Trump uh, this week. Joe Biden, of course, is back on the campaign trail, John, until the end. He's going to be gone most of this week to New York, Philly, and uh, places elsewhere. I, I don't think he'll be cheering for the Phillies. Maybe his wife will. Who knows? We'll get to that later. But um, the um, in Donald Trump's case, Trump and the DOJ are going to meet in court about the uh, Mar-a-Lago in D.C. court this week, Michael. And what does that portend for what's going on in Donald Trump's criminal investigation by the DOJ? Well, Trump's lawyers and the DOJ met in the District of Columbia. Uh, the assumption is they met with um, Judge Howell, who oversees grand jury matters in the District of Columbia. It's believed that there is an ongoing grand jury in the District of Columbia investigating among other things, the possibility of obstruction of justice and mishandling of documents in Mar-a-Lago. We know from a week or so ago that Judge Howell uh, rejected Trump lawyer arguments that certain people, uh, Jacobs, who worked for um, Vice President Pence and um, the other fellow whose name I'm forgetting, um, who was Pence's chief of staff, Mark Short. Mark Short. Um, both. Um, Whom I respect, by the way. I, I, I've worked with him for years. John, you too. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Michael. They both said, I, I'd like to testify, but I can't because the former president is asserting executive privilege. Judge Howell seemed to say that argument has no um, merit, and they were, and they both testified. And now, there's uh, there are subpoenas out for other people, Philbin, uh, White House um, counsel, and um, Cipollone, a White House counsel. 
And uh, this hearing is understood to be about that. And so if Judge Howell says that the claims of executive privilege um, do not um, exist in this case or are overcome in this case, and there is no attorney-client privilege in this case, then the grand jury will perhaps hear from these witnesses about what Donald Trump said directly. If you remember in the January 6th hearing, when they, a question was sort of asked that said, well, what did Trump say? They'd say, I can't answer that question. So now they're asking that exact same question in the grand jury. And it seems as if the judges said, as was said in the Nixon case, the grand jury's right for evidence um, supersedes your desired privilege claims and I'm going to make the testimony um, mandatory. And so that's what's going on. The court has every right to hear every man's testimony. John, <laughs> let's hear yours. You think he's going to be indicted? Um, I, I just go back to there's so many investigations and so many possible different charges that at some point for Trump, this becomes a pretty hard to solve math problem. Can he, and he has for his entire adult life, he's outran a lot of stuff, um, but can he outrun all of these potential charges at the federal and at the state level? Let's not forget that. Yeah. Um, I just think it's unlikely that, that he outruns all of this. I, yeah. I think at some point the, a lot of this is going to catch up with him. Yeah. Look, the January 6th hearing, the, the committee has, um, the subpoena has been received. They've got to answer, I believe, Michael, you were saying in a break, uh, by the 4th of November. And by the 14th, he's supposed to testify. Um, the courts have ruled that uh, Trump's taxes can go to Ways and Means Committee. I, I, I think he'll push both of these as far as he can to the Supreme Court, where he hopes to find, you know, uh, I guess, comfortable and, and, and uh, sympathetic ears towards his case. Michael, you think he's going to push the, the tax case to the Supreme Court? And do you think, well, I, I, I don't know if we're at it. Look, if the, and this is, we'll close later in this uh, segment with, with midterms. But if I, I don't think anybody doubts that if the Republicans capture the House or the Senate or both in the midterms, that Donald Trump will ever testify before the January 6th committee. But um, if not, they might. But what do you think, Michael? You think he's, he's going to, take the taxes to uh, the Supreme Court? And do you think we'll see him testify? Well, I think that he'll do everything in his power to delay. And if that means filing um, appeals to the Supreme Court to take the case, I think he, he will do that. Do I think he will testify? I'd be surprised if he testifies. You know, he's got a lot of hubris that might, you know, sort of transcend the advice that his lawyers would theoretically give him to not testify. But in respect of taking things to the Supreme Court, I think there's a false notion that he has, and which maybe others have, which is that because there are Trump appointed judges, they're going to rule favorably for Trump because of political alliance. And what undermines that is, for example, in the cases of the seeking of subpoenas, uh, seeking of testimony in, in, for Lindsey Graham or data from Kelly Ward, the Republican National Committee head in Arizona, the lower courts have ruled that this testimony must come forward. In the case of Lindsey Graham, the 11th Circuit was unanimous that he has to testify. The three-judge panel was made up of two Trump and one Clinton judge. In the case of Kelly Ward, the Ninth Circuit in California split two to one that she has that she has to testify. And the majority was made up of a judge appointed by Clinton and Trump. The dissenting judge was Bush, uh, W. Bush judge. So these, these lower court judges um, are ruling against Trump. And I don't think it's a portend that, um, I, let me say it again. I, and I don't think it, it it means necessarily that the Supreme Court will act politically. In you know, in criminal matters, theoretically, uh, justices should be pro-government, pro-law enforcement, pro-getting the evidence. Um, so I think that were these cases taken, 
the likelihood is that he shouldn't prevail but you know that's always a crapshoot you never know <laughs> the answer to your two questions yes i think he'll do anything he can to delay and no i'd be surprised if he if he ever um testified under oath and well and i look i i couldn't you know neil gorsuch and and all those people aside on this u.s supreme court i'm not going to second guess their commitment to law and order but you have to wonder i think john you can correct me if i'm wrong but donald trump at the very least seems to think that he can count on them to keep it to, to keep watches back or at least he he would like them to since he put them in three of them three of the six conservative justices he put there yes that seems yes that seems to be the game plan um i'm not sure in fact i'm fairly certain that um donald trump shouldn't bank on that uh he's not gonna my 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 read of the court and again i'm not a supreme court reporter i've i've never covered the port the never covered the court day to day um but you know i think he loses chief justice roberts on a lot of these cases and you know then you know, I, I think he loses uh, Coney Barrett on some of it and, and probably Kavanaugh uh, as well. So, you know, I think he will probably I win. I think he some keeps challenges. Thomas in his back pocket no matter what. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thomas, I think we, we know uh, we know how Justice Thomas is, is going to vote. Um, and I guess he doesn't have to recuse himself, um, even though uh, his he wife, Jenny Thomas, yeah, even though his wife, Jenny Thomas, a conservative activist, QAnon supporter. Um, yeah, was involved in um, apparently some of the planning for January 6th. So, um, no, I, I don't think he can count on it. I think he he may win some challenges, but if he if he tries to take all the all the cases that he's convicted in, maybe uh, to the Supreme Court again, I, I don't think they're going to overturn everything. No, I, I yeah, I. But let's uh, let, let's but put that's it, how it thinks. To your yeah, point, that's exactly that's classic how think. Trump thinking. <laughs> Fly by the seat of his pants delay 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 deny 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 yeah. uh deflect 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 yeah, i'm a victim i'm a victim and you all are all shit yeah that's and and we talked here about how the trump operation and trump himself operates sometimes like an organized crime group uh so in donald trump's thinking they owe me yeah but it's not that easy donald no it's and and that but that's exactly how he thinks they owe him and, but, it, but, it, but it also has not proven to be the case was my point yeah and, i agree yeah. and, and i don't so, think yeah. he changes the way he thinks <laughs> i understand that but i'm saying there isn't a historic record of these justices um ruling for him simply because he put them on the bench i right. i think that's antithetical to the way the court works now they may align on questions of policy uh choice as in the Dobbs decision or redistricting or civil rights enforcement, but that's because they hold those political beliefs themselves, independent of whatever belief um, Trump holds. That's what that's why they're there, because that's how they believe the government should be run. And the uh, Supreme Court has historically been very, very, I mean, once they, they have that appointment for life, they tend to become very independent in their thinking. They don't have to kowtow to anybody. They, they, they are their own people. For yeah, and 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 I think society is is much better organized when the individual and their doctor and their local legislators all get together and make decisions for the family. <laughs> Did you you meant that? <laughs> Oh shit! <laughs> well, especially the I think when the legislator makes the decisions that the doctor should make, that that's that probably benefits us all a little bit better too. <laughs> and, and that's and that's a veiled reference to uh, what um, Doctor Oz said in yes. his debate um, about uh, the decision to to have or not have an abortion that it should be between the the family, the doctor, and the state legislature. Yeah, I I, I got and, the reference. <laughs> and with and but with that, of course, I saw a poll this morning that said uh, Republicans in Pennsylvania are beginning to coalesce uh, more around Oz now than they did a week or so ago. Ninety-four percent versus eighty-seven percent support 
of Oz. How many votes have already been cast? I, I kind of wonder. And that brings me back to, the, you know, where I wanted to end this segment, and that is the midterm elections. Um, you know, what's funny is I talked to uh, some of uh, people in Mitch McConnell's office this week and a few in, in other uh, um, Republican I guess I I, I want to the word I want to use I won't use but uh, those who have standing in the Republican Party that are holding office and those in the Democratic Party and even some of the independents that have split away and this is exactly after talking to all sides it boils down to we fucking don't know <laughs> no matter what the polls have said there is no one expressing any confidence anywhere about how this at least privately publicly the republicans some of the republicans have been very uh optimistic about their chances of taking over the house and the senate but privately not so much and as my friend uh george conway says you know it's very easy for the republicans to just boast because they're stupid and that's what they do but um i guess the question to ask is uh john i'll start with you on this one um how fucked are we? In the, I don't know. How fucked are we in the, in the midterms? How fucked is this? How? Where do you see? Do you see that kind of chaos, or do you think there's a clear-cut path and the Republicans will take the House and the Senate, or the uh, Democrats will hold on to either one? As far as chaos, meaning uh, after the election? Oh, I'm talking about on the run-up to the election. I still think it's a numbers game. If there's more than 65% of the voters vote, I think the Democrats have a far better chance of holding on to the House and the Senate. Their early indications of early voting um, have shown that there are millions that are voting. And yet, at the same time, you have uh, outstanding cases of, and, and they're outlying cases, I assume, uh, by reports, but our press reports aren't always the best, but outlying reports of some voter intimidation. But uh, yet, with the chaos running up to this election, how do you how do you see the fallout now? We're about a week. We'll be a, just about a week away when we when this drops. Yeah, I think Pennsylvania is a good indicator of where things are headed um, uh, with with Dr. Oz in that Senate race against John Fetterman. It, it really does feel now like Republicans will take both chambers. It's just a matter of how big their majorities uh, will be. Of course, with the Democratic president, um, some of the more, shall we say, dire um, pronouncements about what Republicans would actually be able to do with those gavels. Uh, that's another story because Joe Biden would, and he will, uh, simply veto most of, of what a Republican House and a Republican Senate would send him. Uh, it gets a little more tricky for Republicans. They're not getting to 60 uh, in the Senate. And I don't, I, I don't, you know, Mitch McConnell doesn't change his mind on big things after he's taken a public stance so he's not going to kill the filibuster for really anything um right now not legislation so they can't get to 60 votes and we're just going to investigate hunter biden's laptop for two years jesus michael well so i heard an interesting um observation after the fetterman oz debate which clearly did not go well uh for fetterman nope. why why he elected to debate or why he elected to debate in that uh, 15 second back and forth format um, is not clear to me. But David Plouffe of, of Obama campaign fame said that he thought Oz's comment about uh, the right of choice being one between uh, doctor and family with the third party being the state legislators will be decisive in Fetterman's favor because he said that as he looks at the data, that group, which is undecided, is suburban women. He said, so the, the, the camps are pretty set, um, except suburban women are, are not yet uh, fully decided. And he thinks that that comment will be more harmful to the Oz campaign than Fetterman's stuttering uh, performance during the debate. And so we'll see whether or not um, how that how that case, um, how that comes out. And we see that Obama's down in Georgia um, talking um, up um, Warnock's campaign and 
downgrading um, Herschel Walker's campaign. So these things are going to be nail biters. And it, it could be that the Senate stays 50 50. That, well, I, I'll go back to, and I'll close this, this, uh, this block by uh, reminding everyone that the, the guy who I trust the most in the Senate when it comes to counting numbers is Mitch McConnell. The son of a bitch has been a, a, a excellent going one, two, three, four <laughs> since the early 60s. And uh, when I had an uncle who was uh, worked with him in, in Louisville, Kentucky, and, and uh, he, you know, Mitch made his bones on being knowing how to count. He started trying to take over the Republican Party in uh, Jefferson County, Kentucky, and threw a couple of people under the bus when he failed to do it. He withdrew his his move to do so at the last possible moment uh, when he counted and was very good at counting numbers and couldn't come up with uh, the numbers that he wanted. And I think that that hasn't changed. I think that um, the fear is, of course, that the Senate will be lost, but I don't think Mitch McConnell's banking on that. I think Mitch McConnell is still banking on, on the, on the very uh, solid, belief that it's going to be split or they'll they'll lose a seat but we'll see fetterman the fetterman seat and 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 oz certainly are going to be interesting to see and to john's point it could be it could be a tip i think the house is um is in total chaos and i haven't i haven't heard privately from anyone on either side of the fence who are confident about where the numbers shake out and the more people that vote the more I see the Republicans getting uh, concerned. So I, I I don't know where it ends up, but I know this much, John, you're absolutely right. If they have the House and the Senate, it's going to be Hunter Biden's laptop and Donald Trump the lover for the next damn two years. And that's all we'll get. And we'll be, and don't forget that, that you know, the one thing that, um, that Biden's had when he has the few statements he has made, the one that he said it is absolutely true is just quoting the Republicans. If they take over, it's going to be your social security and your Medicare that are going to be on the chopping block. And uh, that's, they've said that there's no, you know, that's not hyperbole. That's exactly what the Republicans say they'll do. They'll hold those hostage um, over the debt ceiling. So, you know, we, away we go. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and when we come right back, oh, the fun stuff that we have in store. Stick around. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q Podcast. That's J-A-T-Q Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth with Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me now is, as always, Michael Zeldin and uh, John Bennett from CQ Roll Call. Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor and host of the podcast That Said with Michael Zeldin. And so if you're an author and you have a book, that's a great podcast to, to tune into. But before we uh, start, <laughs> Michael, you, you sent out something this week that I, I got a kick out of is is how many times have you been rooting against both teams in the World Series? God damn it, you're right. That's I don't want either one of these damn teams to win. But, now, I, I, I say that as a New York Yankees fan, of course. Yes. So um, you cannot root for the Houston Astros because they defeated the New York Yankees by allegations of cheating. And then the, the long-standing rivalry between New York sports teams and Philadelphia sports teams make it impossible to root for Philadelphia, notwithstanding their Cinderella status in this in this tournament. And so I find myself hardly watching, but when I'm watching, I'm hoping like 
maybe there'll be another rain delay, you know, <laughs> and there will be, and there'll be no, there'll be no outcome. Let's just call it off, you know. Yeah. But, the young Cinderella team from nowhere about to become the Augusta champion. It's in the hole. <laughs> John, you, you having fun watching this series or you're not watching it at all? Oh, I didn't tune in last night. It was a college football <laughs> night at my house, but I did watch game one and uh, I, I disagree. I am rooting uh, for the Phillies. I, as I said last week, um, you know, I didn't, I don't have the vitriol that so many Washington baseball fans have toward Bryce Harper. I don't understand the vitriol. The kid played his ass off here. He played hard every day, except that one time he didn't run out of fly ball when he was in a slump coming off an injury and Jonathan Papelbaum punched him in the nose. Other than that, Bryce played hard here and carried them at times. He was very inconsistent. I get that. Um, you know, when that bat goes cold, it is ice cold and he gets frustrated. Um, and that's a problem. And that was a problem here, but you know, I, I would like to see Bryce, uh, hoist the trophy at the end of the week and, and, and be a champion. I, you know, I've got friends who, who don't want to see that uh, they don't, they don't want Bryce to have any success. Um, but you know, the learners did not, that was not a real offer that the Washington nationals made to him. Oh, they've dismantled that team. Yeah. And they've dismantled the team. And, you know, he said, go get JT real, real muto. Uh, he's a great catcher. You know, they didn't have a long-term solution at catcher at the time, the nationals. And he was beginning to talk to the GM and he said, go get this guy who was playing for the Marlins at the time. And, um, um, I'll clean up what I really want to say. And Rizzo looked back at Harper and said, um, get, you know, go, Go over, you know, I, I'm not going to say what I want to say. Say it, say to, it, say he it. told him to go F himself. Yeah. And and they never they never tried to get JT uh, in a Nationals uniform and keep Harper. It worked out, though. It worked out. The Nationals won a World Series without Bryce. That, and, you know, the lineup, far smarter baseball people than me say the lineup worked uh, better without Harper in it. Uh, and, and it did. They won a World Series. They got hot. They had a lot of cast-off guys who just had unbelievable years. This is a long way of saying, uh, go Phillies. Oh, Lord. But just, let me I just know. Be clear, Brian, it's my full baseball heel turn. Yeah. My, my, <laughs> animus, my animus to the Phillies is not Bryce Harper specific um, or anything about this team. They are a Cinderella team, and they are something to always root for in Cinderella teams. I'm just not allowed by my DNA right. to root for uh, Philadelphia teams as a, as, a, as a New Yorker. <laughs> Well, I always like the underdog, so I'll, I, I would definitely, and having begun my career as a reporter covering the Houston Astros, it, it, to me, they're like the McDonald's of, of franchises. They're, they taste like cardboard. I don't really care about the Astros and never have and, and found them horrible. And there was only one time I ever like the Astros and there's that goes back to the book ball four and Jim Bouton and, and playing for the Astros at the end of the 1970 season. <laughs> so that's been a while. So I've never been an Astros fan, but um, I've, I've also been a, here, here you go. Full confession. It's Cincinnati Reds uh, fan most of my life. Cause that was the team, the, the big red machine in the seventies when I grew up was, was the team to watch. So I've never liked the Phillies either. And I, uh, 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 but they are the Cinderella team and they're Bill Murray and Caddyshack, the young Cinderella team from nowhere trying to be the, the new champion. So I, I I'll, but the, the other thing is, is I, I'm sick of, I, I think I'm sick of pro sports at some point in time. I can't even, you know, I can't even watch the NFL. I, I catch a couple innings of the, uh, of, uh, of the world series. I can't watch pro sports pro basketball because they they double dribble and and carry the ball too much i i'd rather watch a good high school or or, or college game i'd rather watch app state i'd rather watch that what is it about pro sports that's turned you off uh well i i think that the i i think the nfl is just that it's wwe it's like watching yeah. staged it's all staged to be close until the very end it's mm -hmm. it's crap i don't like aaron i'm, I'm a, a a huge packers fan and have been since the 60s and can't stand aaron Rodgers. and and so i don't even want i mean anybody that <laughs> goes to problem. joe rogan for medical advice to me is an idiot so i can't stand that 
And I, and I don't like the NBA because I grew up watching, you know, um, my pro team growing up was the Kentucky Colonels and watching U of L and U university of Kentucky basketball. And, and there was, you know, man, if you double dribbled, you got called for it. If you walked, you got, you know, it was a step and a half and that's it. And I watched too many people palm the ball, double dribble and, and uh, carry the ball. And, and I, I mean, good heavens. I, it's just not fundamental basketball. It's not fundamental football. You most of the injuries in the NFL happen because there's not, they don't use form tackling. You know, it's, it's, they're flying mm -hmm. around hitting each other in, in ways that I would never teach kids or, and where I never played. And then baseball is, I I'm, I'm sorry. I have never been a fan of the designated hitter rule. And so that one still comes back to bite me in the ass. So that's, that, there's my preach in a nutshell, screw them all. <laughs> I'll go watch high school ball or, or college, a good college game. So can I just add one footnote to my, I don't yes, like you can. Astros. I do like Alex Bregman. I think, I think besides the fact he's a good Jewish boy um, from, <laughs> from New Mexico and, you know, we don't have too many good Jewish boys in, in, in baseball. Um, I think he's, he's Andy Koufax. Andy Koufax. I think he's a class act. And I think well, he's, he's a great baseball player. John. <laughs> I, I I think I'm enjoying um, nothing against Joe Buck. Uh, he's not calling uh, the series anymore. He moved over to ESPN. Uh, but I'm enjoying uh, some new voices uh, in the booth. Uh, it sounds different this year, and I, I think it was time for a change. I, I still miss Howard Cosell, but that's just me. That, and I'll close with my favorite, and I don't know if I've told it before, the Bob Costa story about Howard. So there yeah. – they, yeah. Have I told that? Yeah, you told it. <laughs> that you I won't it. tell it again. You'll, mm. You have to look it up. Let's, <laughs> but sometimes it's good to be me. Oh, these orange it. helmets that the Chicago Bears are wearing today, that's reason enough to tune out the NFL. Well, yeah, and well, good Lord, they look like popsicles. But anyway, that's... <laughs> <laughs> so one, one last thing, Brian, going back on a serious note, going back to our conversation about the assault on Paul Pelosi, I failed to mention that Dan Balls, um, who's one of the chief correspondents for the Washington Post, in today's Washington Post, um, October 30th, Washington Post has an article which call is the title of which is Assault on Paul Pelosi was an attack on democracy. The yes. risks keep growing. And it's an important article that people should take a look at in light of our conversation about this topic. Well, in light of our conversation about that topic, I will close after, you know, the, our divergence into sports for a second, because it's always good to have at least some comic relief. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll close with this. I don't think that at this point in time in our history, it behooves any of us to look at that attack on Paul Pelosi as anything but an attack on democracy, because it's uh, John, you and I have been, we, we, we've been at the white house. Hell, I, I had the, um, I've seen, I've had the death threats. I've had the back at my car bashed in. I, I know my buddy, Jim Acosta has had to have, you know, when he covered some of the Trump rallies had to have, uh, security in, in public arenas. All of us have seen that hate. All of us have seen that anger. And all of that was it. it Donald Trump, I believe is a symptom of a greater problem, but mm. what he stirred up as that symptom had not been that vocal or that right. dangerous before. And his yep. that's the threat to democracy. And January 6th, I firmly believe, was just the beginning. And I think this is how it plays out the ripple effects. And it's something that we have to watch every damn day. Yeah, he made it almost acceptable in certain circles uh, to turn to, to political violence. I mean, some of these leaders of of some of these groups have said things like violence is always the answer. And, you know, that's, that's back to, to bring this full circle. You know, that's the opportunity that president Biden had this week. That he um, we're taping this on, on Sunday afternoon, the white house has already called a media lid. So we're not going to hear from Biden on this uh, today either. Uh, another missed opportunity, I think, um, and so this is the, the, you're right, this is the manifestation of everything that Trump did. We remember those early rallies in 2015, 2016, when he would tell his supporters to knock the hell out of 
out of a heckler and, who, who and wasn't he paid the and he paid the uh, right the the, you know, the legal yeah. bills yeah. which we knew was a lie because he never paid a bill in his life but nonetheless yeah i i don't think uh, donald trump is going to be paying mr de pepe's legal bills uh, for the pelosi no. attack no and i'll 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 you know what you said about violence always being the answer there was an isaac asimov book uh, foundation and where one of the characters, Salver Hardin, said, and I, I remember this quote, and it's so true, violence is the last refuge of the incompetent. And that when you cannot, that which you cannot convince people, that when you cannot convince people you're right, and the, your last refuge is violence, just beat them into submission. And so um, I, I think that's where we're at today. That's what's frightening for, for all of us. And so, yeah. Paul Pelosi, to your point, Michael Zeldin, is that he is, is very well taken. So listen, the, the name of the show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Once again, thank you guys. Great show. Look forward to talking more next week. Stick around because we'll be back in about a week. Have fun. <laughs>